You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me... Distantly is my co-hostess with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. So I am in the studio today for the podcast, and Kyla's on the island, and you are on the island for traffic court. Yes. And I've been in traffic I've court a, a bunch of times this week, too. <laughs> a lot of traffic court. A lot court. of island traffic court this week, which has been great because, you know, I uh, wanted to get back to the island for the holidays. Well, there you go. So you're one of the few people who can actually travel and has a legitimate reason for traveling because you're traveling for work. And on top of that, you need to stay somewhere. So you get to stay with your parents who have been isolating and you've basically been isolating as well. Yes. So I'm living with my parents rather than exposing hotel workers and restaurant workers to me. Probably uh, probably wise. And, uh, in a basement. <laughs> I understand. Well, there you go. I understand that uh, your brother has built a plexiglass uh, wall in your grandmother's garage so everybody can have a moment to see grandma behind plexiglass. Isn't that kind of like going, seeing grandma in the zoo? It, it is kind of like going and seeing her in the zoo. It's, it's not. It's, it's also kind of like grandma seeing, grandma seeing you guys in the zoo. Well, you have to understand, this isn't just a plexiglass wall, because as leaves, you know, when we do something, we try and do it extra, like, you know, producing a podcast. Let's do it once a week for, what is it, like three years? Yeah. (laughs) Once you commit, you're pretty committed. I can see that. So it's a, you know, a a hand-milled lumber, um, fully framed plexiglass walls with live edges that have been sanded down to look all beautiful and then a window on um one side of it so you can see grandma and it's like warm on both sides or at least it's warm on grandma's side is that yeah they're gonna put heaters on her side her side is on the house house side so she can walk out the you know the door connecting the house to the garage into her little plexiglass chamber and people can walk into the garage via the, you know, the garage door that you would drive in and be completely protected from her, no different than if you were standing on the front lawn, but you also have the, you know, Shelter of, of not being rained on. Exactly. Now tell me, how are you guys going to schedule visits to grandma? Is this like, uh, is this only for Christmas day? And then after that, he's going to go tear down the plexiglass wall or is this grandma's going to be in the zoo for the next until everybody's vaccinated. Grandma's going to be in the zoo till she's vaccinated. Well, that's a hell of a deal. Yeah, and uh, or you guys uh, are going to be in the zoo. I mean, really, it's yeah. all it's all it's all a matter of perspective. She's the one who can go yeah. back into her house. But <laughs> I'm done with this. Goes back inside. Yeah, exactly. No, she'll be inside, um, and I will be. Uh, we'll all be on the other side, and we're all signing up for lots to come, you know, visit the zoo online so that, you know, there's no more than, than a household of people at times. <clears throat> you guys might popularize something. People might visit their grandparents more if they parent, grandparents were on the other side of a plexiglass, you know, sheet of plexiglass. Look, 
if you want to hire my brother to build a beautiful plexiglass cage for your grandparent, call now. Yeah, he did it without a permit. That's the type of guy he is. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and the, the province of British Columbia or the, the municipality of whatever, I won't say it here, where your grandmother lives, probably would look at it and say, you know, this isn't a, this isn't a, clo- this isn't a uh, code to zoo. Zoo zoo to code, rather. (laughs) Impermissible, impermissible plexiglass grandma watching wall. Exactly. So, you know, there's that, but, you know, what can you do? Anyway, we're here not to talk about plexiglass walls. This is not the plexiglass wall podcast. This is the driving law podcast. It could have been. It could have been. It could have been. Um, So I wanted to talk to you about a very disturbing video that was released. I was interviewed this morning at, like, I got a text at 5.30, and I was on the radio at 6 a.m. <laughs> um, who needs sleep uh, about about it? Um, a disturbing video involving a driver in um, uh, Vancouver, but the driver is a police officer. And there's, a, I guess, a mother and her daughter who are bicycling in the bike lane on Beach Avenue. When this police car comes screaming down, avoids the driving lane, drives into the drive uh, the bicycle lane and nearly runs over this poor little girl. Yeah, they, I mean, they had video of the yeah, police car video. coming at and them. The police car doesn't turn on the lights until they've been in, in the bike lane for a couple hundred meters. They never activate the siren, which they're required to have going. And the mom was so upset by this that she tweeted this video. So you can find it online, you can find the News 1130 story and watch it there. Um, the the video clearly shows that this child was put at risk. Also shows that there was no traffic obstructing the officer from driving in the like driving lane. So there was no reason for him to do that. But after she tweeted it, Vancouver police came up with the most tone deaf response. Yeah. Yeah. I mean there there is a there was a good response there. Um, you know, didn't expect to come around the corner and see a cyclist there at uh, that time in that weather. And, um, he was on his, you know, the officer was on his way to, a to, uh, response and we're looking at it and yeah, we think it was fast and we're glad everybody's okay or something would have been good. And we're sorry for scaring you. And we're sorry for scaring you. Like how far would an apology have gone? We're sorry we scared you. Yep. But yep. they didn't do that. Instead, they're like, yeah, well, our officer was responding to an emergency situation. There was an ongoing crime in progress. And because they did that, they got there and they were able to apprehend the offender who's a serial offender. Yeah. And you knew who he was. You knew where to find him. It wasn't something that needed you to go code. You could have gone a little slower. Well, not just that. There's probably other officers responding. If we get in, you know, if some journalist were to really dig, we might find out a lot more information. Could have been three cars there before that officer got there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't know. And that's the type of thing that you suspect there's spin. I don't know. You know, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. But I'm suspicious. And I don't think the response was the appropriate response. The response was not appropriate, but also the driving in the bike lane when not necessary wasn't appropriate either. Like, yeah, police are allowed to violate the Motor Vehicle Act if they need to, to respond to a call. But the whole point is it has to be necessary. You don't just arbitrarily violate the Motor Vehicle Act because you're on your way to 
to deal well, with the you can also not do it if it's unsafe um yeah and uh, i see all sorts of bad driving by police officers in this city and i have noticed the trend that it's usually younger officers it's very rare that i see older officers doing it um and i think uh, you know very often it's unmarked cars uh, and they seem As to feel was. that there isn't scrutiny. Um, and uh, so younger officers driving unmarked cars, just, you know, driving over the lane, cruising over the lane, driving too fast, driving too slow, getting up to the lights, speeding, you know, not never stopping at a, a red light, making a turn, a right turn on the red light, um, you know, crossing over lines, making all sorts of illegal maneuvers and, and no apparent justification and probably nobody's ever going to ask them to explain it. So well, no I need see, for it. You know, on my commute home, I frequently, like this is multiple times I have seen this, where I've been waiting at the light, and I, I go home via Kingsway. So I'm waiting at the light at Kingsway and Broadway, waiting at the light at Kingsway and 12th, waiting at the light at Kingsway and Fraser, like everybody else that commutes that way. And as I'm waiting at those lights, I have seen... On more than one occasion, police officers pull up, activate their emergency lights, proceed through the intersection with the emergency lights on when the light is red, and then turn them off as soon as they've cleared the intersection. Which causes you to be extremely cynical. We don't want to wait at a red light. Yeah. Yeah. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, you know what? The rest of us have to wait at the red light. It's unsafe to go through the light. Just mm -hmm. You've persuaded yourself that you're thing that you need to do is just so much more important than everybody else that you can just disregard the law. Um, yeah. I, lots of times this, this little, um, uh, strip right beside, uh, uh, I guess it's Nelson street between Pacific and Pacific. I guess it is Pacific and Pacific. Um, the, uh, you, you can drive up and you can turn right onto Beatty street. And when you get to that little end of it, you can't turn left uh, onto Beatty Street off of this little little side road. And so many times I've seen police officers drive up there and turn turn left onto the side road, or turn left to go across Camby Bridge. Um, and uh, it's it's upsetting. And every time it just you know I, I think this reflects so poorly on the police. However, we can't just always be coming down on the police, but you know. Somebody's got to scrutinize the police. Somebody's got to point out every once in a while when they're doing these things so they maybe, maybe some general deterrence to police officers. No? Yeah, I mean, it would be nice to see a review of the conduct of police in activating emergency lights. You have to imagine that there's got to be a way that they can track when the emergency lights are activated and when they're turned off. And there should be a review. When is this happening? So that, you know, people can say this is happening. The superiors can say this is happening because officers are too lazy to wait at a light. Or this is happening only in situations where it's absolutely justified. I just think the regular memo every six months reminding all officers that when you're in a police vehicle, you are the face of the police to the public. And when you do something unlawful in a police vehicle or you do something that looks like it's for a petty gain um, unless it's absolutely necessary for the purpose of, of, uh, of doing something that must be done and, you know, weighing that in taking that into consideration, uh, you know, make sure that you're driving correctly. When you and I were discussing topics for this podcast, you mentioned you wanted to talk a little bit about police on Twitter, just generally. 
Um, You're kind of putting me on the spot. Thanks a you're lot. Welcome. Your idea. <laughs> well, you have all sorts of ideas, and I don't necessarily put you on the spot. Well, I was in traffic court this week, and we were talking about one of our fa- one of our favorite characters. I ran into, and I ran into him two days in a row. Sergeant Mark Christensen, who is uh, an excellent Just on the podcast last week? police officer, and we talked about him last week, and that's what sort of got me thinking about him because I was talking to him about his tweet about the person who was driving in the bus lane, uh, didn't have her L displayed, didn't have a supervisor, and who had apparently just failed her exam to get rid of her L, and the reason she had failed it was because she was driving in a bus lane during her exam. Um, And, you know, we all got a chuckle out of that, and we got a chuckle out of quite a few of these things. And I was discussing it with them, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't seeking any more details or get any more details or anything like that. We were just talking about the fact that this was the topic uh, and that it was a topic that I discussed with Mike Smith on his show. Uh, And it got me to thinking, um, you know, is this really appropriate? Like, does the, we we see, and he's not, you know, that regular of a a tweeter. Um, You know, he posts something, but it's not always somebody and usually never identifies the person like never identifies them so it's you know you there's some justification but I see lots of times from Ontario and sometimes from here and BC and sometimes in Vancouver the police will stop somebody speeding they'll have the vehicle like a trophy in front they'll have the uh, laser gun sitting on the dash with the Mm -hmm. speed that's been clocked um, and then a picture of the vehicle there and posting these things on Twitter. And, you know, to a lot of people, the Drive vehicle... Drive lose your expensive, yeah. fancy car. But to a lot of people, the vehicle is probably is identifiable. And yeah. even if it isn't identifiable, you know, I was just thinking about whether or not this is correct. And, you know, I, I would think, a, you know, a decade ago, nobody would think that that would... Very few people would think that that would be appropriate. And now there's probably some fogies who don't think that it's appropriate. Um I, I don't know that I'm one of them, but I'm, I just wonder about the appropriateness with it. I, I was just wondering, Kyla, is there, I mean, does this, this affect the ability of the person to defend their case? I mean, it might. Um, on the one hand, you have the officer creating this, this documentary evidence that is, is evidence of things that they did, observations that they made, and actions that they took. And so potentially it will help the case. I mean, very, very long time ago, you and I uh, were defending um, some individuals who had been charged in a a group uh, of vehicles that had been caught speeding um, on the Sea to Sky Highway. And you were hanging out with your neighbor, and he brought up, oh, did you see that news story? I was there that day. And because it was reported in the media, we were actually able to use your neighbor as a witness in our client's defense. That's true. So there is that. Possibly the identifiable thing will make a witness come forward, whether for the defense or for the crown, but it you know enhances the quality of evidence that the court might hear. That's true. I was thinking more about like the police are collecting information. You know, we have the Privacy Act. There's limits on what you can collect and then reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is the what what is the authorization to reveal this information that you're collecting as a police officer? Uh, well, what I think is you the... could 
Go ahead. I was going to say, I think you could um, definitely um, file a privacy complaint if you had an identifiable vehicle that was posted. See, I had a client who was um, uh, ticketed with an identifiable vehicle. And then after it was posted, it went a little bit viral for a while, and his vehicle was vandalized. And he attributed it to the fact that it had been posted. Uh, you know, when I looked at the facts, and the facts were hardly out of the ordinary uh, in Vancouver. You know, it was uh, an excessive speeding or something like that. Nothing, nothing really outrageous, except that the car was quite identifiable. And, you know, as a consequence... It, it was days, I mean, he said his car was spat on many times, uh, and then ultimately somebody stuck some gum to it, uh, and that was happened in the weeks after, and it was never happened to him before, and, you know, months later it didn't happen after that. Ultimately, he got rid of the vehicle because it was, you know, felt so horrible about driving it after it had been in that. And you're thinking to yourself, even if it's not an identifiable vehicle, is this something that is really appropriate for police to be doing? I mean, it's one thing to put out a press release, you know, we arrested somebody who's been, you know, committing these crimes in this neighborhood, um, you know, it, for the purpose of, of seeking further information or assuring the public, right? Assuring the public that the police are doing something and, the, you know, the public can be feel confident that they're protected in this neighborhood. It's another thing to be posting you know, what arguably could be trophy photos. The trophy thing just made me think of like a joke about, you know, psychopaths take trophies when they kill the people. Uh... Some do, not all. Depends on who they are. <laughs> I mean, it's not a very, not a very friendly thought. Anyway, uh, I, I don't know. I've been, I've been puzzling over it for the last week because, you know, here I am. Uh, you know, I exploited it too. I, you know, made a bunch of jokes about it. I was on the radio. We cracked everybody up about it. We talked about it here on the podcast. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's part of life. But then I started thinking about it after the fact and thinking, you know, uh, it's one thing for, you know, it, it, it's kind of a personal thing. You've got stopped. You're being investigated by the police. You're innocent until proven guilty. And then to have the police out there. Uh, you know, talking about, oh, you know, you were going 183 kilometers in a 30 zone and, and here you are and look, there's the, here's the car, um, and here's the spot and, and, um, you know, it's kind of like the innocence until proven guilty is gone. Yep. Thank goodness it wouldn't be a jury trial because you'd contaminate the jury by putting out all that information. Yes? No? What do you say? Well... I mean, you you would you contaminate the jury? I mean, it's no different than a news story about a, a killing. No, I know. I'm just <laughs> I'm taking it a little far. Um, anyway, you are. so that was my topic. That was the thing that I've been thinking about, and I may have more thoughts about it later on. But I was curious about your thoughts on it. I um, I, I I just often you know I I think this is something you know like they they have the name and shame um, drunk drivers and some jurisdictions. And I don't think that there's many places doing that now in Canada. Um, you know, people who are arrested, the, the news stories are there. If you want to find them, if you go to PEI, you'll find every person who's been convicted because it's reported in 
the local mm -hmm. uh, newspaper there, the name of every person who's convicted of impaired driving. Yeah. And last week we talked about, last week or in the last few weeks, we talked about the Alberta government um, making you bound by this contract with the government if you if you wish to dispute your IRS uh, driving prohibition, that they can release information for the purpose of marketing. Um, and, you know, I, I just think that is fundamentally creepy and I, I haven't thought through the whole thing yet, but probably some good civil rights lawyers in Alberta will. Uh, but this is kind of yet another, another stretch into that and it, it bothers me. All right. Well, speaking of things that bother you, you were telling me earlier about something that bothered you to deal with uh, parking in Kelowna. Oh, was I? Yeah. What was I talking about? You oh, 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 yeah. yeah. No, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I spoke to a reporter uh, who told me that um, healthcare workers in a hospital, and I think it was in Kelowna, and I'm scared now that maybe it was in Kamloops, um, have accumulated parking tickets with the private parking firm uh, that has the contract to regulate parking. And they accumulate some tickets with this firm, and then the their employer is uh, telling them they have to uh, pay these tickets, otherwise they they um, uh, face difficulty with their employment. I, and I don't know what the difficulty was. Um, yeah, I mean, the, there's lots of problems with it, but the reason that I was called, and so I didn't delve into the details of that so much, so I didn't know that we were going to go into this. Um, the reason that I was called was a few years back, uh, I was contacted by CBC and uh, with respect to tickets in private parking lots. And I explained one of the one of the strategies that I had used and that I'd advised people to use over the years, and that was if you go in and you've paid for parking and legitimately paid for parking, intended to park, uh, and end up over your time and you get a ticket, send them a check for the amount, the further amount for the next period of time you would have been there. If you're an hour over, send a an hour a check for an hour. And then just write on the check, um, you know, on the reline, additional hour of parking, read this, you know, ticket number, whatever. And if they cash the check, you know, for me and for the people I know who have done this, they, that would discontinue it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, I said that and I, it caused a, a kerfuffle. Uh, apparently the, <laughs> the companies that have these lots do not want anybody to do that because, you know, how do they, one of their ways of generating revenue. Uh, apparently at this one hospital, it was like a half million dollars a year of revenue generated from fines. Uh, and one of their ways of gem generating revenue is to demand these fines. And of course, they're not fines that are, are justified out of legislation. They're fines that are, you know, the, the companies that run those lots purport to be able to demand from you as part of the contractual obligation of parking there. So you park there, you pay your money, and then you're now bound by this term of the parking agreement, they claim, that you have to pay this money. And of course, you know, what is their remedy? Really, their remedy is to sue you, um, and they're not going to do that. Their easier remedy to deploy is next time you park there, claim that you're trespassing and tow you. Mm -hmm. So I was asked uh, about this and of course you know this is what I'd done for 
if in the rare event that I did go over and I had that and it worked for me every time and I had advised people of this for years and I don't know, it was a discussion that started on Mike Smith's show, I think, again. Um, and he was, he didn't have a show then. He was a filling in. Uh, but um, the, uh, uh, the, the, the problem, of course, is that people hear that on the news and they think to themselves, well, I'll just go park in that parking lot and if they give me a ticket, then I'll send a check in for the next hour, which you know is completely wrong. Right. Yeah. It's, it's obtaining, it's go. obtaining the service by fraud. It's a theft, uh, of, yeah. of, the, of, uh, of, of space. It's a, you know, you're, you're stealing from the parking lot people. If you do that, uh, yeah. completely wrong message. If anybody got that message from that news story in 2016, I think it was 2016. Anyway. So, um, yeah, uh, it will be interesting to see. I'm looking forward to the story to get the further details, but, um, if the hospital is trying to use their employment as a lever to get people to pay parking, that's a concern. A private lot. Sure. That's, that's outside the scope of the employment agreement. And I think would amount to wrongful termination, unless there's some type of morality clause that says that you can't be indebted to anybody, which you can't imagine. Absurd. Yeah. Uh, I mean, then you can't have a mortgage. You can't have my only concern is hospital workers going into work, uh, paying for their eight hours and then having to stay because something heavy and COVID or something like that. And as I told this fellow, my dad had a brain aneurysm. He drove himself to the hospital and his truck was in the lot for days. Uh, you know, are you, is the idea there to, to stick a bunch of tickets on his dash? Uh, you know, that would be absurd. Uh, in these lots where they're, you're prepaying for time in a hospital, it's kind of dumb. Like you should be paying on your way out for what you used. But isn't like hospitals parking free right now? Well, I don't know. No, I don't think so. Is it? I don't know. Well, there was a discussion about it. I don't think so. No, there was a discussion. People were saying that they should be free. It's not free. You're still paying. I just found that they're not, uh, uh, I think it might be free at uh, St. Paul's right now, but that's just because they don't want people touching the machine going in and out of the hospital. It was free when I went to Burnaby two weeks ago. Oh, or did you try and obtain parking by fraud? No, 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 no. I checked. I parked. And as I was walking by the machine, I saw a sign on it that said, pay parking is suspended until further notice. Maybe in Vancouver Coastal Health. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if Burnaby you do that... If you, okay, well, maybe just in Fraser and Vancouver Coastal Health. Um, if you do that, the problem that you're going to have is you'll have every hospital employee driving their car and parking for free. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's not parking for everybody. And we shouldn't be encouraging people to come to the hospital in those circumstances. And we can't afford to, as a society, pay people, give them free parking necessarily. Maybe they can in Kelowna. I don't know. I think that the hospital parking should be free. And as far as I'm concerned, the, the idea that you charge for parking at a hospital when people are going there to visit sick loved ones to get treatment for illnesses that's covered under your MSP, the idea that you should have to pay for the privilege of parking there while you're doing that, it strikes me as being completely wrong. Yeah, well, you have an argument that you can make there. So, which brings me to the new courthouse in Abbotsford. So the new courthouse is going to be opened. There was a, a statement on the provincial court's website, January 18th. 
uh, is when the new Abbotsford Courthouse opens and is going to be expected to be fully functional. Hopefully it'll be better than that uh, airport in Berlin. Uh, that <laughs> it's like seven years ago was supposed to open. Um, the uh, And it looks pretty good. We drove around it when we were out there for our trial and we drove into the parking lot. And the parking lot looked lovely, but there's one thing that we both noted. Which the was... Parking. Is open to anybody to drive in and park their car right next to the University of the Fraser Valley campus. Yeah. So how many students are going to decide just to park in the courthouse parking lot? Oh yeah. And I really, I really want to make sure that I have a parking spot at the uh, at the courthouse. You know, my personal view, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, is that there should be parking for lawyers. Um, you know, we're speeding in there. We're trying to provide access to justice. Part of it is uh, that is a perpetual impediment for us is the length of time that it takes in court, waiting for your matter to be called, um, mm-hmm. but also looking for parking. Uh, the Surrey Courthouse, sometimes you're parking uh, four blocks away and you've got a 10-minute walk uh, to get to the courthouse, and it's not exactly good uh, an ideal parking situation four blocks away. Um, and, uh, this is a perpetual issue in Vancouver. You know, you struggle with parking, uh, to get a parking spot at 222 Main Street. The only spot mm-hmm. that's really good for parking is Port Coquitlam most of the time and, uh, and North Vancouver. Uh, in Richmond, the parking situation is, is kind of desperate. We're just lucky that we have our office, but for everybody else, I mean, we allow some other lawyers to park in our parking for that very reason. But uh, what's going to happen when it fills up with students from the University of the Fraser Valley? It kind of the first thing I thought when I drove into that parking lot was that. Totally. And it didn't look like as much parking as in in Surrey. And you know what? If you're a uh, if you're a person who is um, a person who is working at the courthouse, Crown Council, court staff, etc., you have nice gated private access parking. Yeah. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, but if you're your own special guaranteed parking. Yeah, but if, but if you're, you're working at the courthouse as a defense lawyer. Yeah, you're still working there. It's still your workplace. You're still there, you know, doing your job for the society. Um, if you're uh, if you're defending a criminal case, you know, you may be paid uh, through the legal aid fund uh, by le- by legal services society, uh, which is you know basically collected out of tax revenue being paid. You're you're a government employee. You're just at at arm's length and and working independently. But yeah, you don't get that advantage of the people who work in the courthouse, who get their parking, presumably for free. We don't know. I don't know. Maybe they'll change all that. Who knows? Maybe they will. Yeah. Now, Paul. Yeah. After we rant about parking, and feel oppressed by our role as defense lawyers, the bottom rung of the justice system hierarchy, I thought about. The people that are more oppressed than us. Who's that? Namely, the ridiculous drivers of the week. The ridiculous driver of the week. Aren't they awesome? And this one is ripped kids. from my Weird and Wacky Wednesdays blog series because I thought. I want to plug my Weird and Wacky Wednesday blog a little bit. So Kyla's got the Weird and Wacky Wednesday blog. She puts it up every Wednesday morning usually, um, not always in the morning, but usually in the morning on her um, website, kylalee.ca. 
uh, people yeah. should know about all the different uh, things that we've got going. There's lots of things there we've got going. 133 weird and wacky Wednesdays. And most of the time there's somebody from Florida, but this one I don't think is from Florida, if I recall. Well, I don't think you and I are talking about the same one because this guy, well, he is from Florida and he's not from Florida. (laughs) Okay, tell me about it. It's a different one that was on there. Yes, this is Caleb Kleiss, who uh, was called into police over a traffic altercation. Um, basically what happened was, uh, somebody phoned the police to report him because he was driving around Florida with the barrel of an AR-15 gun sticking out the driver's side window. And at one point, this witness who called him in, he lifts it up and points it at the witness, which of course, you know, freaked the guy out. Even in Florida, I guess you get freaked out when someone points a gun at you. And, uh, um, police find the vehicle He's parked outside a laundromat. The the AR-15 is just lying on the dashboard, like completely unlawful storage of your firearm in Canada, with a full magazine loaded round in the chamber. And Mr. Kleiss was apparently quite intoxicated, blew uh, over the limit. And the police asked him, like, why are you driving around with this gun? What What the hell, dude? And his explanation is that he had just moved to Florida from Alabama, and he'd seen some crazy stuff since moving to Florida. Well, that's pretty good. And what about freedom? That could be the reason, too. Well, you know, he was, he was, uh, he said apparently the gun had originally been in the backseat, but he turned his music up and he's really feeling it. So he decided to put the rifle in his lap because he was starting to get paranoid. Oh, well, there you go. So you sure there wasn't some... Florida. Dude, you are the crazy shit in Florida. That's pretty good. I thought the Weird and Wacky Wednesdays this week was going to be the person who... um, who, No, the person who claimed their dog was driving. They ditched their car (laughs) and claimed their dog was driving. Um, I was, uh, I didn't want to joke about it in case they, you know, hired us, but, uh, I haven't heard any, <laughs> anything yet. And I'm, you know, I, the, as, as far as I know, the dog has not called our office. Well, if you are a dog that has been charged with impaired driving or a human who's been charged with impaired driving, when you were so drunk, you let the dog drive. <laughs> well, don't um, assume that the dog was impaired. I mean, the dog might've been fine, but it could have been impaired. Not necessarily. The dog might have just taken the wheel. Maybe you had a, you know, medical condition and all of a sudden the dog had to drive you to the hospital or something. Yeah, Wrigley wouldn't do that for me. No, I know he wouldn't. Anyway, uh, yes, if you have any of those issues, then uh, feel free to call Kyla at 604-685-8889. And find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com. And tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.